This is Leadership Letters, the podcast reflecting on and discussing all things leadership. Coming up. It was a very large deal, very significant to the business. And we looked at each other and we're like, but, but we, it doesn't fit with our values. I'm such a believer in cheese. I love a bit of cheese and I love, a, <laughs> I love, a, I love a cliche. Just a really inspirational sort of man. He is definitely one of those sort of renegades. Everyone else does it in six months. What are you going to do in four months? <laughs> I'm not competitive much. <laughs> if you're talking, you're not listening. Hello, I'm Lizzie Bentley Bowers returning for series two episode four of leadership letters after a bit of a summer break which was very lovely as you may already know I do think of September as my new year it's never left me from all that time spent in education so happy new year and later on in the leadership letters lowdown we'll take a bit more of a look at that relationship between working and taking breaks especially when we've just come back from an extended break We'll also be looking at appreciative inquiry later on in the Leadership Letters Lowdown and through our usual sharing of resources to read, watch and listen to, there will be something to think about in terms of meaning at work, something to think about in terms of how as leaders you create the conditions for introverts and extroverts alike to contribute and thrive at work and also at the psychological condition of languishing that was written about a great deal earlier this year. So moving on, my guest this month is the CEO of multi-award winning digital design agency YoYo. Working with clients such as Marie Curie, Vivo Barefoot, Mercedes-Benz and Universal Music, the agency regularly wins awards for their work and their culture, recently scooping campaigns Best Places to Work. She was recently named the Management Today 35 Under 35 Young Business Leader of the Year. And she has also led the agency to make the legally binding commitment to manage the business using the triple bottom line of profit, people and planet as a certified B Corporation. Now, as a B Corp ambassador, she promotes the B Corp values through supporting other companies through the accreditation process, as well as speaking at conferences and on podcasts like this one about building better businesses that put people and the planet at the heart of the organisation. So I'm really looking forward to talking to Jenny Kitchen. Welcome, Jen, to the podcast. Thank you for having me. We'll dive straight on in if that's okay. My first question is always the earliest memories question. I'd love to know what you, when you started to realise leadership was a thing, either your own experiences of leaders, being led as a leader, and how does that still influence you now? Such a fascinating question and one that I haven't actually reflected on until last night over a glass of wine. (laughs) I sat down and sort of really thought thought it through and I think the earliest memory, it's a man called Steve Craggs who was a teacher um, of mine at school and it was um, year 10 and 11 and he was always a bit of a renegade, like he had this clear vision, this clear focus which was to sort of inspire and protect every single kid that comes through the school. And he was just such an inspiration because he fought tirelessly for every single kid. And he would bend the rules. He would, you know, but everybody knew that don't get on the wrong side of him, but he would absolutely champion you to the bitter end. And I think that sort of empathy and understanding for people um, and that sort of focus really, I don't know, reflecting on it, it really sort of, it really taught me a lot. 
And then the second person, bizarrely also called Steve, um, is was the CEO at one of my first agencies that I worked at called Iris. And he was, there was about 600, 700 people there. And quite regularly, he would walk around the studio and sit down with us. And I was a lowly account executive at the time, or maybe I was an account manager, but, you know, certainly not the sort of top sort of leadership of the business. And he would sit down with me for eight absolutely ages and listen intently and actually take action off the back of it and send me emails afterwards, say, you said this, and then this is what I did as a result. And that has absolutely stayed with me. Um, and I do that now in the business. And that kind of, I guess, that idea of just really properly listening. If you're talking, you're not listening. So the whole thing, talk less, listen more. That's definitely stuck by me with, well, throughout the whole career, I guess. And lots of people on the podcast have talked about a teacher as an early example. Mm-hmm. Unsurprisingly, I guess, a teacher is an early example of leadership. But I love what you said about how much he championed there was empathy there was warmth but then that little thing you said but you didn't you didn't mess and I I think that plus boundary thing is so important Mm. people tend to think you can you're you're one or the other we tend to think in quite binary ways about whether you are strict or not when actually it's the combination of the two that's most powerful what do you yeah what what are your thoughts on that I, I completely agree and it's sort of it's setting the boundaries and setting the expectations and you know, when you say, sort of, yeah, I think sort of don't, I, I wouldn't mess with him because I wouldn't because, I mean, he's given me the, the hairdryer treatment <laughs> in the past, you know, really, I remember being in his office and he shouted so much at me. I can't remember what I did, but yeah, he really laid it into me. Um, but that was okay because there was the trust between us and I respected him and I never did whatever I did <laughs> again as a result. Um, and that's sort of that, expectation and knowing what you where you are um but also I guess that comes down to consistency and consistency in leadership um I guess to sort of to to know where those points are and actually where the softer warmth comes from and I try and sort of instill in the team that if there is any problems come to me and talk to me about it don't hide and cover it up and we will deal with it together and if we have those conversations and those sort of open conversations then we will deal with it. If that happens three, four times, then I'll start to get frustrated and annoyed. And that will be my sort of my my limit. And again, people know, or hopefully they know that boundary within within myself and my leadership. Mess up once, maybe mess up twice, (laughs) but don't mess up a third time on the same thing that, you know, we've been we've been sort of over a few times. And in terms of how you then, I guess, instill that or expect that. So you, you, know, you talk about how important culture is at Yo-Yo. It needs to not just be you, of course, who has that, that combination of the warmth and the boundary or even all your senior leaders. It, 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 there's a cultural aspect to that. So is it something you kind of hope for by role modeling it? Or are there specific things you say as people join the business around those expectations you have of that combination of warmth and boundary? Yes, it would definitely be sort of um, trying to trying to show and to lead the way and just how we run the business. Um, but we also, we did a big piece of work a couple of years ago around the values and the principles of the business. And, you know, some values are just, I don't know, passionate caring you know those types of things which for me they don't really mean anything it's just kind of three 
handful of kind of words that people have done or may have paid expensive consultants to do so and then stick them in a box somewhere and never actually sort of emulate them or talk about them. Um, and we've actually got we've got we've got nine um, principles and nine things that we care about. And so I've been challenged on this in the past to say that's too many people aren't going to remember them. And I'm not looking for everyone to remember all of these off by heart. But what I'm looking for is that we've created these and we bring them up at various points. So in reviews, in um, when we hire, when I take every new hire through the culture of the business and these principles, then they are more detailed than just a single word. It's things like be kind, be thoughtful, be curious, and then having a sentence or a few examples underneath that to say how you demonstrate that. So every new starter that comes in then I take them through this in in quite a lot of detail and we talk through how we actually properly reflect that and I love the fact that every, like every single new starter without fail after a month or two has said wow everyone actually reflects these principles and these values um, and so that's one of you know I've, I've got a number of kind of um, weaknesses as a leader, but that's definitely one of my um, strengths is having that sort of clarity in terms of culture and how we want the business to be run and organized. Um, and that helps that everyone then follows that through. It's work I love to do is, is exactly what you've described, which is lifting those values and principles from being words on a wall to being something that's, you know, really truly part of how people talk to each other essentially but but really sort of is there and alive in the business but that's that's exactly it. it's keeping it's keeping that alive and as I said we do it sort of when we're hiring and I talk it through with new starters but um every month we do uh, employee of the month which very uncreative <laughs> title and everyone votes and everyone kind of sends me through um they're uh, the person that they vote for and we ask them to show how they're living the, the values and principles it, it sounds really cheesy but we haven't made it cheesy it's mm -hmm. really really lovely and and I share those with everyone and it gives everyone a real lift so again it's sort of it's highlighting those throughout the year and then at the end of the year then we have a big award ceremony and we celebrate that and we celebrate those sort of those principles so it is really important keeping that alive I love how using those criteria, those principles to describe someone else, it actually gives a lift to the person doing the voting as well as the person who gets voted for. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm such a believer in cheese. I love a bit of cheese and I love, a, <laughs> I, love a, I love a cliche because I really believe that where things have started to be described as cheesy or a cliche, you know, those exist because there's a truth at the heart of them and that truth has been repeated. So if we can get past the cheese and really remind ourselves, you know, that things like employee of the month, they matter. They matter to people um, that, yeah, there's there's so much exciting stuff and useful stuff in what can be easily dismissed as cliche or cheesy. I think that's it. And I think sort of I'm very, very proud of the culture that we've achieved at Yo-Yo, but it comes through that consistency of we've got these different initiatives that we have that uh, we've been running for a very long time now but every week we get together and talk about the glad the glads and sads glad stads and stars so everyone just talks about the things they're glad about things they're sad about and their star of the week um there's no action as a result of it but it's sort of therapeutic but also it helps to sort of have a greater understanding of the rest of the business and how everyone's sort of feeling within it 
Um, and then we have town halls every other week as well. And again, that's all agency and everyone can put up what they want to talk about. And it's an absolute free for all open. Um, the leadership team are there and everyone sort of talks, talks these things through. And again, those types of um, all agency or company interactions really help to bond that culture together and to instill those types of sort of behaviors and beliefs and things like that. And I'm guessing that this is a part of because I'd love to hear more about the the B Corp work. Mm. And a lot of the work I've been doing in the last year, I've been I've been um, studying. And one of the things I've been studying is that relationship between well-being and performance at work. Mm. And one of the things that contributes incredibly powerfully to well-being and therefore performance is having purpose and meaning looking into the B Corp stuff in, in preparation for talking to you, seeing that connection between people and profit named very clearly as one of those three bottom lines. Mm. I'm hearing lots of dots joining, but yeah, t- t- tell me more about that, how that kind of cultural piece contributes to B Corp and what led you to want to do that. You know, when we first started the business um, around 10 years ago or so, we want to do good work and we want to create a place where people love coming to work. So very simple kind of ambitions and that stage sort of throughout. And we've always been, when we've done branding exercises and things like that, then we've always been the sort of the good guys or, you know, the sort of we we like to do good in the world, that type of thing. But it never felt like a proper business strategy around it. It was just, you know, we wanted to create something that, yes, of course, made profit. Yes, of course, was successful. Um, But we wanted to create something that was a bit more than that. But then when I when I came across B Corp um, two, three years ago or so, um, then it felt like it was a framework that we could adopt, which would help accelerate those goals. Um, because with B Corp, you um, it's an accreditation process. You go through it. It's, quite, it's a huge undertaking looking at every single part of your organization from governance to community, to your employees, your workers, um, and of course the environment. And you have to, you go through sort of a, a sort of a questionnaire as such, and you have to get 80 points out of 200. And you have to demonstrate those points in different ways. And so it might be looking at things like benefits to your team, sort of maternity, paternity, living wage. Um, it also looks at um, transparency and openness and, um, and then how you govern and how transparent you are in terms of financials. Um, things like the environment, obviously building up the company so that you, know, you create as limited impact as possible on the world around you. And how much you get involved in the community in terms of education, in terms of sort of bringing up the next generation, in terms of volunteering, charitable donations, all of those types of things. So it's hugely involved and really sort of took a long time to to sort of go through. But we were so determined to do it because it just, to be honest, it just felt it just felt right to me. It, It felt like it was the right thing for me to do. So that was a very personal sort of quest. But then at the same time, we had non-exec directors on the team. Um, and of course, I'm not, I'm not saying they, they weren't sustainably sort of minded, but of course they were also very much protecting the financial success of the business. And so I did loads of research at the time around the businesses that put sustainability at the heart of it. Um, and I mean, if you do any research around sort of ethical funds and things like that, then it's businesses that are sustainable that are absolutely flying right now. 
Um, and that's lots of different reasons why kind of if you, if you, like you said, around well-being and sort of culture and things like that, then people will be more productive and will be more loyal. You will have less employee turnover. You will be able to recruit more easily. Um, consumers are much more interested in now in even if they have to pay a little bit more, they will go for a more sustainable option if it's there, if it's given. So consumers are leading the way. You know, sort of large banks now, they can't get away from it. Sustainability is high, high up on their agenda. And so actually with all of this, then it's not just hippie nonsense over here. It's actually well and truly at the at the heart of um, of the commercial world. So B Corp made sense. Um, and it made sense to us. It took us about four months to go through. It was a huge undertaking. And me being me was like, everyone else does it in six months. We're going to do it in four months. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not competitive much. <laughs> um, so we kind of enlisted sort of the help of the whole team. It was very much a team effort. Everyone got involved. Very important to lead from the top. And it had to be, it couldn't just be a sustainability manager over on one side. It had to be, it had to go through every, um, every part of the business. And it's now just this wonderful thing. It, it's been the most significant thing that we've ever done as an organization. And I guess it's an, our identity now. And we recruit kind of based on it. People come to us now and they want to work with us as a result. We're attracting new clients as a result. And you know what we're feeling good about ourselves because actually there is more there is a greater purpose than just chasing the money what are the stories you hope that you and your teams will be telling about the fact that you did this and you did this at this point in time I was thinking as you spoke about your your renegade teacher and it's been really interesting some of these things they've been unusual and yet as you say the evidence says this shouldn't be unusual and we are hopefully increasingly moving in that direction. My desire for the future is that every company that puts sustainability at the heart ha has huge amounts of success. So suddenly there's no argument. You know, spending quite a significant amount of money in terms of increases to maternity pay or paternity pay or increases in holiday, increases in benefits, increases in charitable donations, increases in volunteering, increases in time dedicated to things outside of making money. You know, I want to be able to show that this investment provides that success. I wonder if I can ask, it sounds as though that whole process revealed many strengths it kind of confirmed many values for you as leaders and in the organization but I'm also curious what 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 did it reveal if anything that you needed to work on as a leader whether it was did it expose anything or reveal anything that you mm. thought oh okay there's a, there's a could do better there for for me as a leader yeah interesting I, I think one of the key aspects to it that I probably didn't quite properly understand is the fact that it's easy to kind of like have your ideals and to say like that is it that is absolutely fixed but business is complicated it's really complicated or it can be complicated and so there's there's been a number of times over the last sort of 18 months where we've been seriously challenged as, as a leadership team one in particular we had an opportunity with a with a company um we were we basically won the deal and then we looked at each other and said, actually, this doesn't fit with our values. 
Um, and it was a very large deal, um, 500,000 pounds kind of plus, you know, sort of it, very significant to the business. And we looked at each other and we're like, but, but we, it doesn't fit with our values. Um, but then the complexity is um, that this happened beginning of the year when we just come out of a very difficult time in the business where we, we have a lot of clients in the charity and not-for-profit sector uh, and education. And we lost a lot of contracts last year. We managed to keep the team together, but we used furlough and we, we had to have pay cuts. You know, it was a difficult, difficult time. And then you've got this opportunity. And this opportunity could secure the people's jobs. Um, it could secure us for the future, you know, all of those things. But yet the values of the, of the, of the company weren't aligned. So we, we went around the houses. Uh, we then went to town hall and talked about it openly with everyone. And then we had a vote on it. And the team, I mean, pretty much all voted, voted against doing it. Um, there was human rights, ethics, um, so many kind of aspects kind of to it, the environment. And we turned the opportunity down. Very um, frustrated client or potential client. Um, and, and it really, it was quite gutting, if I'm honest, because it was such a big opportunity. But at the same time, a week later, then we'd completely moved on and we won another huge opportunity and happy days. And I'm so, so glad that we were in that position. But as a leader, it's still quite, you still struggle sometimes, you know, even if you know that it's the right thing. Um, then, yeah, there's, there's lots of different facets to running an organization. And to hold all of those different things in your mind all the time is really hard. <laughs> Yeah. Goodness. It's a, it's a courageous decision. It's a scary decision, but I'm very, very happy. And, yeah. and that's the, and that's, the, and that's the side of it of just, you have to, once you go down this route, you can't, you can't, you can't, you lose, you'd lose the trust of everyone around you and you'd lose your trust in yourself. Yeah. <laughs> courageous decision but yeah, I appreciate difficult. you sharing it because it's the kind of thing that people face in 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 roles like yours so mindful of time Jen I wonder if we can think about your letter I'd love to hear it but let me start by asking you who who did you write to and why so I wrote to Paul Pullman who is the um who was the CEO of Unilever um, between 2009 and 2018. Um, just a really inspirational sort of man um, in terms of all the stuff that we've been talking around, around kind of B Corp and sustainability and things like that, then he is definitely one of those sort of renegades and very much kind of, um, uh, yeah, at the sort of at the heart of everything that I've been talking about. Dear Paul, when I think about the people that inspire me in leadership, you always come to mind. You were hired as a safe pair of hands, but your leadership could not have been further from safe. You were brave, focused and determined to put sustainability at the heart of Unilever, and boy did it pay off. One of the most admirable parts of your story, though, is the fact that you stuck by your values and the values you believed should be upheld by Unilever despite the fact that the business was missing sales targets and underperforming financially for several years under your leadership. Shareholders wobbled, your competitors rubbed their hands with glee, but still you remained steadfast. You were not going to deviate from what you believed was going to make the most significant impact, not only to the planet and to the people within it, but also ultimately to the profit margins of the business. 
As an ex-CFO, you understood the numbers. You knew for this strategy to be successful, you needed financial success. But you also knew that the way to get there wasn't to trample on your employees, your communities and your environment. You brought all of these things along with you. In fact, you put them at the center. My favorite part of this story is when you stood your ground with Wall Street on your very first day. You abolished short-term reporting to focus on the long-term health of the organization. You did not want to be forced into making decisions to improve the short-term stock price. You wanted Unilever to focus on being a more socially responsible business. And to do that, you needed that long-term vision. I love that determination, that clarity of vision. On that very first day, you scrapped the FTSE 100 company's quarterly earnings report and said, Unilever has been around for 100 plus years. We want to be around for several hundred more. So if you buy into this long-term value creation model, which is equitable, which is shared, which is sustainable, then come and invest with us. If you don't buy into this, I respect you as a human being, but don't put your money in our company. I love that you showed such boldness. And I also love the fact that afterwards you told people that you figured you couldn't be sacked on your first day. So what did you have to lose? Of course, it did ruffle lots of feathers. It went against the status quo. It wasn't how it was done, but you didn't waver. You had your vision and you stuck with it. There was a fear that Unilever will lose its way without you. It's a difficult time. Supply chain challenges, fierce competition, Brexit, and of course the pandemic. But I would assume that you have built sustainability into every aspect of the business and your legacy will live on over many decades to come. Future leaders in the business should be inspired by the fact that your policies and ideas are good for the planet and for the people within it. But even if they don't care, even if they're only interested in the bottom line, what you have shown is that a sustainable agenda can actually achieve incredible financial success. You use your power and influence to rally other business leaders around the Paris Climate Accord in 2016, and you served on a United Nations panel that created the Sustainability Development Goals. We need people like you to inspire and influence the rest of us. Many of us have the passion and energy, but we don't always know where to direct it. We need to be jolted out of the everyday and never has it been more urgent. You've been fighting this fight for years. Many people are only just waking up to it. On behalf of us all, I'd like to thank you. You've done incredible things already in this world and inspired many, including myself. Yours faithfully, Jen. Thank you, Jen. So there are a few things that, that sprang to mind there as you were talking. That it's really interesting, the ex-CFO who understands the numbers. And you got me thinking as well. So hearing your appreciation of the renegade in everything that you've said um, today. And I'm curious now about how, how as a leader, though, I'm guessing there can be a challenge in that. Oh, it's such an interesting question because, um, and one that I've reflected on quite a lot, actually, because the reality is that you can't, or it'd be very challenging to run an organization full of mavericks <laughs> because you do, you do need people who follow the rules. <laughs> and, and actually there's a part that I haven't talked about a lot, which is process. And the way that I think businesses are really successful is the fact that if they, they explore, they um, find boundaries and they try, sort of try different kind of elements. But once they've actually nailed something then they create a process and they just are consistent with it and run with it so that you don't have to expend too much energy on that you just do it quite robotically and then that allows you to then move on to the next thing and to explore whatever that is um 
And so there is this kind of idea of of process and the importance of process within a business. And for many people, to be honest, it's just a case of I need you to follow that. but I think what, um, what is really important and the things that I value is actually a conversation that I had with one of the team yesterday is that um, I pulled them up on some of the detail of some elements in a, um, in a document that we were writing. And I said to him, you know, you need, you need to watch out for that and you need to be kind of, you need to remember the sort of the detail here. But at the same time, <laughs> I know you and I know that actually, I want the value that you bring to the business is your big ideas. And so do you know what? I want you to concentrate a little bit on the detail, but if you can't do that, then get someone else to double check your work because I need you to focus on the big ideas because you are my maverick. So it's kind of, I've I definitely identified the people in the business that I want to encourage that behavior more mm-hmm. in. And that really comes from comes from within those people who've got sort of frustrated ambition, you know, that are kind of they're hungry for change. And, you know, sometimes they cock up. I've cocked up so many times, but it's it's a case of sort of that just passion and energy and optimism and just relentlessness of kind of of trying and trying and trying, but having that vision and having that vision in mind. And that's where you get some incredible ideas. Um, and that's how you make the most amount of change. And it also strikes me that that's where time comes from. In listening to your letter and, and thinking about what you said about your process of application in you know, four months rather than six months. And, you know, time doesn't magically get gifted to you when you decide to, to do something like that. And as you said, it, it takes time. But there is something about enough sense of purpose and in plus enough clarity on what the priority is, and then the time is there because it it becomes available by virtue of that combination of the purpose and the priority. Is that what you experience? And if it, if so, how do you now then hold on to that? Is it something that you're still using as an approach? Time is such a such a ugh, tough one because so many so many sort of people we work in time so our business is based on selling a number of hours or selling a number of days, and so time is a concept that is talked about quite a lot within the organisation. Um, but I actually hate it <laughs> because it it means nothing. It means nothing. It's kind of what do you achieve? What do you achieve? What's the sort of output? And I'd much prefer if sort of people actually worked on far fewer things in the month, but created more things that added the greater value to the organization or to, well, to our clients mainly, um, rather than getting bogged down in sort of too many, too many kind of small aspects and the small sort of detail. Um, so yeah, I think time is time is a difficult one, and I haven't I haven't cracked, <laughs> I haven't cracked it. <laughs> well, and time is catching up with us. So Jen, before I let you go, there is one piece of work that I know that you've been involved in. That having seen it, I I can't let you go without asking you to talk about it just for the sake of talking about it because it's really extraordinary. Um, could you share a bit more with us about the Marie Curie Memory Cloud and how that came about, and and tell us a bit more about what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a really significant piece of work for the uh, for the business. Marie Curie is a wonderful, wonderful charity. Um, with a new CEO and a new sort of strategy in place, then they were looking at how to start the conversation um, around around death and around grieving, and how to help people through that through that journey. 
And so um, wonderful, wonderful woman uh, named Tony Simpson um, had the idea at Marie Curie to come up with something whereby people can share their memories of loved ones in a really um, sort of peaceful and calming and serene sort of manner so that they can share photos and memories and share it with their friends and family. And so they came to us um, sort of a couple of years ago now, and we did a very, very sort of sensitive piece around uh, sort of user interviews and things. Because obviously it's a very, it's a very tough topic and we were so cautious of getting it right. Um, and through, through, those, through those interviews and through interviews with nurses and various sort of other people, then we created this online platform and this tool to help people through that, through that journey and then signpost them not necessarily to Marie Curie, but signpost them on to, to help them in different ways. And the, the piece of work was such a huge success. Thousands and thousands of people have, um, have shared their memories already. It won a number of awards as well um, for its creativity and innovation across the world. Um, and so that, to be honest, is, is probably the most, the most important piece of work that we've, that we've ever done, um, because it not only has that element of creativity in it, which is creativity and technology, which is obviously our passion, but it's also that element of helping and supporting people and working for the wonderful charity that is Marie Curie. It's, it's extraordinary work. It's really beautiful. And something that I'm passionate about is supporting organizations and people in them in, to go towards the challenge and the and the the difficulty of endings it's extraordinary and and beautiful work so yes thank you for sharing more about it it's been great to have you on it's been a pleasure it's been really really lovely to kind of reflect on all these different things across my life and the whole maverick wasn't necessarily something that i thought was a big thing in my uh, leadership journey but i guess it is <laughs> This is the Leadership Letters podcast, a podcast reflecting on and discussing all things leadership. And time now for this episode's Leadership Letters Lowdown. So I mentioned earlier that the relationship between our breaks, our holidays and our work time. And sometimes it can be really useful to reflect, I think, after a holiday, what is it that you found useful about that break? What are the things that you want to hold on to? Um, and sometimes, though, I do think the holiday can be a point where we then start to see work and well-being as separate again, that we catch up the well-being while we are off work. So I've been thinking about that. And the Charter for Health promotion from the World Health Organization back in 1986 said work and leisure should be a source of health for people. I do think most of us tend to think of leisure as a source of health. But to what extent do we think of work as a source of health? And to what extent as leaders do we think of creating the conditions for work being a source of people's health as part of our responsibility? I'm sure you will do. And I wonder again whether there's some more conscious thought that can sometimes go into this. So as part of an assignment in July that I was working on in July, which led me to that World Health Organization quote, I had an opportunity to take another deep dive into the work of appreciative inquiry. So the work of David Cooper Ryder, Diana Whitney, and people who've come since their initial groundbreaking work. And I love what he said in 2005. 
and the premise of all of that appreciative inquiry work, which is that human systems grow in the direction of what they persistently ask questions about. And I do think it's such a powerful and useful focus statement in itself, a great discussion for a senior leadership team, something to take stock of. What are we persistently asking questions about? And what direction do those questions take us? Where does that lead our focus to be? If they are the questions you need and they are working for you, a great exercise to have confirmed that and keep doing it. And if not, an opportunity to reset what are the questions you want to be asking or perhaps asking differently and asking persistently that will support you as leaders and your teams to go where it is you want to go and to grow in the direction that you want to grow. So on now then to the recommendations that I share on each episode of Leadership Letters, something to read, to watch and to listen to. And whether you're thinking about leadership because it's what you want for your future or you're new to leadership, or if you've been leading for a long time, I choose these recommendations based on whether they'll be a useful source of reflection, no matter where you are in your leadership journey. So hopefully this month will be useful to you too. So my something to read recommendation this month is Quiet by Susan Cain. I've returned to this book recently. I've loved returning to it. It's such a great book for increasing our empathy and increasing our curiosity. We see the world how we see the world. We just do. And this book is such a great reminder not only of the range of ways people see and feel and experience the world, but also that what can be energising for some people can be completely draining for others. So it raises some great questions for the teams you're in and the teams you lead. Who in your team might be investing significant energy in behaving in a way that isn't actually that closely in alignment with how they feel because they believe it's what's expected of them? Who might you need to work with differently to really get to hear their perspective and to see and experience everything they have to offer? And what's the important thinking you and your teams can do from that place of curiosity, empathy and inquiry about how you create the conditions for everyone in your organisation to be heard and to thrive? My To Watch recommendation this month links back to a to read recommendation, actually, going back to June. And it was then I shared a New York Times article on languishing. Languishing is a psychological term for a place that many of us were finding ourselves as the pandemic continued, of not being mentally unwell, but certainly not thriving either. And Adam Grant's TED Talk is a great follow-up to that article and many other articles like it that were everywhere at the time. It's called How to Stop Languishing and Start Finding Flow. And as always, there's a link in the notes accompanying this episode if you want to head straight to watch that talk. And in the talk, Adam Grant takes a longer look at languishing. He then shares more about what flow is and three approaches to having more flow in your life through mastery, mindfulness and mattering. And finally, the to listen to recommendation this month feels like another one of those parties I'm a little late to. It's happened a number of times on these recommendations. So I've only recently been introduced to Stephen Bartlett's podcast, The Diary of a CEO. And so far, I've just been enjoying diving into his Moments series, which I'm really enjoying. 
So he takes a five to ten minute extract on a particular topic or a key moment from one of his interviews and shares them as a series of moments. So the one I've attached a link to in the notes is one of those moments with Tom Bilyeu on the true meaning of success that's really well worth a listen. But flicking through his guest list, flicking through the list of topics, I've downloaded a whole heap of episodes. So I'm really looking forward to getting a bit more stuck into those. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on them too. And in fact, please do always feel free to get in touch and share your own read, watch and listen to recommendations for leaders. And I'd love to pass them on through the podcast. So that's it for this month's episode of Leadership Letters. Thank you for joining us. Please do like, follow and comment about the podcast wherever you have downloaded it, Apple, Google, Amazon and Spotify. And please do share it with anyone you think would value listening to it. So far, my podcast guests have all been in senior leadership roles. I'd really love to hear from some leaders in roles further down their organisations, talk with middle leaders, aspiring leaders. So if you would like to come and have a conversation and write a leadership letter, or you know somebody who I could have a great conversation with, please do get in touch at thecausewaycoaching.com. This is the Leadership Letters podcast, the podcast reflecting on and discussing all things leadership. See you soon.